Welcome everyone to another episode of the Dine Sports Podcast on the Dine Sports Podcast Network. Today we're going to be breaking down all things NFL draft as it is just around the corner. One week away today goes down Thursday, April 27th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So I figured what better time than now to bring back friend of the show, Kyle Kirkwood, to sit down and break down some of the top prospects, teams who could be trading up, trading down, some of the linchpin teams who could completely flip the draft on its head and more. So Jay Impact episode. Let's get right into it. Our NFL draft preview special with Kyle Kirkwood. It's almost his favorite time of the year. Joining the podcast today to talk all things NFL draft just around the corner for the big day itself. Mr. Kyle Kirkwood, how are you doing today, buddy? Buddy, what's happening? Any, if I were any better, I'd be you. <laughs> well, considering how I know you're actually doing with the, some of the ear infections going on, there, uh, I don't know what that says about my own personal well-being, but uh, thank you for the compliment. I think. It's a compliment. It's a compliment. How are we doing? Right. I, I begrudgingly accept it then. <laughs> <laughs> so if again it's, it's one of the big times of the year for you here if you were to power rank your your favorite moments of the football season so we're talking like super bowl week one nfl draft college kickoff where's the nfl draft kind of slot in there for most memorable moments of the season for you this is number one for me because it kind of hits on both spectrums of where i really like to dive into football itself so one you know, I watch a lot of college football. I, I really like to, you know, follow a lot of the athletes, a lot of the programs, just kind of see the, you know, uh, the different prospects that are coming out every year. So, you know, being familiar with a lot of them coming out is just really exciting for me because I get to see them kind of go to a, you know, a team that they work well with in the system. I, you know, I kind of have a feeling if they're going to be a bust, if they go to a specific team or whatnot. So that's really exciting for me. And then on the other hand, you know, being a football fan in general, especially with the NFL, getting to see these guys take the next step and really make these teams that much better. So, I mean, you can see the Kansas city chiefs that are going to be a you know, contender for the next five, six years because of the past two drafts that they've had. And, you know, your beloved Philadelphia Eagles, even though they've gone through the ups and downs of the bad drafting every now and again, the last couple of years, you know, doing pretty well restocking those cupboards and, um, yeah, so, so I mean, at the end of the day, the, the NFL draft is really, you know, the, the crown jewel in the PS3 resistance for me. Well, there you go. And people who are listening and have been following us for a while, they, they can go back and check the tape because this is an annual tradition. And we've been pretty good about hitting on some of the prospects that we thought were really going to translate well to the next level and who are going to be the bus. Because e even before we knew he was going to the Jets, both you and I were saying that people would be absolutely insane to take our good friend, uh, the dainty Zach Wilson <laughs> with a top overall pick. And uh, uh, I think we can do a victory lap on that one at this point. Yeah, that uh, it's funny because I mean, I think 99% of the viewing fan base would have known that Zach Wilson would have flamed out in New York, given that he was a small school prospect. He was, you know, raised in a very rural community in Utah and being thrown into the glitz and glamor of New York, having to deal with the media, the fan base, but also having to resurrect an entire franchise and breaking the curse of, mediocre quarterbacks there since joe namath it's not an easy thing to do so when you look at the people who could have fit in that role zach wilson would have been at the bottom of that list so yeah i mean you and i have been pretty good you know at forecasting a lot of these things over the last couple of years and uh that's what makes this fun is because we get to have you know the good banter back and forth everybody has their, their own opinions as to who their team should draft who this team should draft and so on and so forth and you know we just get to talk about it and you know, put it on the airwaves. So it's, uh, it's all good. Yeah. Well, who knows? We, Mr. Zach Wilson, maybe you just need a little bit more motherly love and he, he would have done a little bit better <laughs> in New York city and all of that, but fast well forwarding, played. let's get to well 2023 well here. <laughs> so this year's draft, I mean, we might as well start with the quarterbacks here because they're, they're going to be the, the biggest domino to fall. And yeah. if you had asked me about a week ago, how many quarterbacks were going to go in the top five? 
I probably would have said four because I would have assumed that Arizona would have eventually traded out of the pick. And, you know, Seattle's probably the only one who wouldn't take a quarterback out of those remaining selections. Right. Now, all of a sudden, we, we, we've we got these rumors that Houston could flip the draft completely on its head and they might not be going quarterback, even though everyone and their grandmother is kind of saying, you probably should take whoever stepped <laughs> over out of Stroud and Bryce Young there. But now that you're, you're starting to see some of the tea leaves starting to come out as we get closer to the draft, if I were to put gun to your head right now and say, how many quarterbacks go in the top five? What what's your pick at this point? I, I mean, I think the the line is two and a half because you're you're really looking at guaranteed top two picks are going to be Stroud and Young, Young and Stroud, however you want to put that. And the wild card in this scenario is really you know Anthony Richardson. You know he he really does give you the vibes of potentially being you know Cam Newton plus 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 which, you know, for any team looking to rebuild, you know, he's a great long-term project, but he needs to land in the right system. But which team is going to be bold enough to make that decision to bring mm -hmm. in that guy? Because you have to have a very strong coaching staff in place because he's got all the tools. You just need to be able to unlock them. I'm not a huge fan of Will Levis. I know that some people are, and some teams are very high in him. Even, you know, and I, I don't know how legit this is, but they actually have him rated as their top quarterback on the board, which mm -hmm. I don't know who's watching football if he's the top rated guy <laughs> out of these out of these players. But um, I and don't anyone who him. puts mayonnaise in their coffee cannot be the number one quarterback. <laughs> In the draft I, last yeah, night, right? I, I mean, I think that was kind of a ploy to kind of you know get more attention on himself, which is good because it's marketable, right? You put mayonnaise in your coffee, you're eating bananas with the peel on, whatever it may be. You know, people are going to think you're quirky and tune in just to see the weird guy who puts mayonnaise in his coffee throw a football. Um, I think he's a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> be that as it may, you're still watching. Um, <laughs> But, but at the end of the day, I think that the most you're going to see in the top five is three with Richardson really being that third guy and Levis kind of falling in that, you know, five to 15 range where, you know, again, it all depends on who's going to be willing to move up. You're hearing Tennessee is kicking the tires on moving into the top 10. Um, you know, who knows? You know, who knows? And especially, you know, Tampa Bay's come out and said they're not trading up. Obviously, they drafted Kyle Trask. You know, a couple of years ago, he's really their guy of the future. Kind of, you know, doesn't make sense to trade up. But again, you're going back to Arizona, you know, maybe not trading the pick. And Houston, maybe not taking the quarterback. This is the smokescreen central. You know, the week leading up to the draft is literally where you're going to hear anything and everything from all of these teams because they just want to take people off of the scent of what they're really doing. So, you know, I think Houston would be wise. And I think that they're not. You know, I think they have the right people in place now to know you take the guy when he's there, especially when you have two legitimate franchise quarterbacks in this draft. Arizona, again, I, don't, I think if they hold on to the pick leading into the draft, they're taking Will Anderson at number three. Mm -hmm. I think that's a pretty, you know, pretty given spot there. Um, and then, yeah, Indianapolis, what do they do? Are they moving up to try and get one of those top two guys? How much is it going to take? Is Houston going to be willing to trade one of those two guys to an in-division rival? I don't know. So that's the interesting part about it. But if, you know, to kind of wrap it up in a nice little bow, I think the most you're going to see in the top five is three quarterbacks. Yeah. And again, you know, you, you look at Houston where it's that, that's how I'm interpreting it as well, too, is it's smokescreen because you would be very, very much putting your job on the line uh going out there and passing up on whomever is left out of stroud and bryce young and right electing to take whether it is you know anderson or carter or whoever uh at number two now granted it could be a case where if they are trying to move down but still select a quarterback and they feel that they are going to be there at whatever number four and then they're comfortable with a levis or a richardson or you know someone like that could they extrapolate a lot of draft capital out of indianapolis 
Probably, because I think Jim Ursay is literally batting his eyelashes at them from across the bar right now. Like <laughs> every press conference he's doing, like I think his last statement was like, well, you know, we could move up and draft a quarterback. We could trade down and draft a quarterback. We could stay where we are and draft a quarterback. Like he's not hiding the fact that they're going to try and take a quarterback here. So yeah. could you float out, you know, the notion of even though they are a divisional rival to a very impulsive let's say owner and get some real draft capital out of that i mean i i would certainly consider it because you look at the houston roster and my god like they've got more holes than you know what to do with so one plug and play day one starter isn't going to all of a sudden turn them into a fringe playoff contender and if you can extrapolate a king's ransom out of an inner division rival and even sell them on the fact that hey you know if you had been seattle you know we would let you have this cheaper but we got to play you twice a year so you got to pay a premium here and they go for it and then you still go out there and get your guy that's a plausible scenario i could see but at the end of the day like it, you know, unless you're believing the rumors that Houston's GM is actually going to leave them after the draft because he's got a uh, under the table offer to return to New England. I mean, it, it would be a pretty bold move not to select either the uh, Ohio State or Alabama prospects that are sitting right there in your lap. Yeah. And, and you know, going back to that point of what are you honestly going to get, especially from an individual rival? I mean, it, the asking price needs to be double what it would normally be for anyone outside of the division. Mm -hmm. And seeing that Houston already has two first round picks in this year's draft and two first round picks in next year's draft, like how much more collateral do you need before you actually start bringing in players that are going to help you now? Like that's, that's the, the weird thing that when you always see these teams that are struggling, right? Like the Arizona's of the world, the Cleveland's of the world, the Houston's of the world, they're always making these deals to, you know, get all these, you know, additional picks and whatnot each and every year. But what are you doing with them? Mm -hmm. Are you going and taking that guy who's going to turn your franchise around? Well, it just so happens that every time you have one of these franchise altering players, like a Trevor Lawrence, let's say, you're not taken in that position. Well, you have the opportunity right now because in everyone's eyes, you have two guys in CJ Stroud and Bryce Young who are legitimate franchise-altering type players who, if you bring them into your system, they can turn you into a legitimate contender. So, I mean, from Indianapolis' standpoint, I think at this point, anything outside of, you know, trading everything, you know, for, of their future assets for Aaron Rodgers, I think everything's on the table for them because they've been so beleaguered by the quarterback position over the last few years that they need to get this right. And... You know, what's really kind of interesting in that regard is they signed Gardner Minshew to a one-year deal. Gardner Minshew is a hell of a quarterback. Is he, you know, the next coming of, you know, Tom Brady coming off the bench? No. But you as a Philadelphia fan know all too well, the guy can come in and play pretty well if given the opportunity. So, you know, that to me says that they're more willing to, you know, wait on a guy and take whoever's going to be there that's left. So they're not going to be willing to move up. One thing to keep an eye on for them is Lamar Jackson's still out there. Yep. Right? So if I'm Indianapolis and Ursay is, you know, really pushing the, you know, the chips towards the middle of the table, look, instead of signing these, you know, old washed up has-beens to one, two-year deals to you know, finish off their career and collect their retirement check, why not? trade some assets, get a guy who's proven he's a former MVP, you know, drafting a quarterback is hit and miss. You got a proven, you know, proven commodity. So I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, from Houston's perspective, if they don't draft a quarterback, there's something fishy there. That just won't make any sense to me. And I don't know. It, uh, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, well, that's just it, right? And, you know, not, not to uh, get the NFL lawyers all fired up here. So this is all hypothetical, but hypothetically, it, the only reason that Lamar Jackson hasn't been offer sheeted at this point is because of owner collusion, hypothetically. But that, that, that's essentially what's going on here. There, there's no reason that you have so many of these quarterback needy teams that 
are just out there looking at a already unanimous MVP young player, one of the best winning percentages of all time. Yeah, maybe he doesn't have the the greatest and most accurate arm, but you look at him stacked up to your beloved Ben Roethlisberger's career completion percentage. And in the pocket, when Ben was going on about people don't fear, you know, Lamar in the pocket, but actually he's got a better completion percentage and, you know, QBR rating than you did in your career and whatnot. So, you know, there's that aspect. So uh, would I be shocked if uh, Lamar Jackson got offer sheeted by them? Yes, I would just because of that ownership fraternity and we've already seen what a black sheep you know cleveland's ownership group has become ever since they you know opened pandora's box with the all guaranteed money contract of deshaun watson over there so there's definitely some billionaire pissing contests going on behind the scenes here but from a football standpoint that's exactly what they should do so again you know you go back to the draft will they trade up probably not you know i think they're gonna take whomever is there at four and there's no sense moving up one spot with them in Arizona, which is a more likely trade. Had they been, you know, maybe outside of the top 10, they probably could have gotten there a whole hell of a lot cheaper than they would have to go throughout Houston. But right. I mean, here, here we are. And I, uh, we've already spent more time talking about the Houston Texans than I thought we would this entire episode, <laughs> but you know, I, I've, I've got one more layer to this because as you mentioned, right? They've got two first round picks. And it's not even like, oh, they got whatever, you know, second and 31st. They've literally got second and 12th. So almost two top 10 picks. So let's say you've got pick of the board here. You can have either Young or you can have Stroud. Who are you pairing up with that quarterback at number 12? Are you going offense or are you going blue chip defensive prospect here? I think with how Houston's offense has just been so desolate the last few years, you have to go offense, offense, and stack them up in mm-hmm. round one. Because, you know, D'Amico Ryans is coming in. He runs a great system. They already have a lot of great young pieces on that defense that they can move around and really utilize strategically. It's pretty barren on offense. You, you don't pretty... like Nico Hollins as a <laughs> number Look, one? Yeah, I'm, I'm a Michigan fan. Nico Collins is a good receiver. He's not a great receiver. He's going to give you what you need out of a big body, but he's not going to light the world on fire and become, you know, the next coming of Mike Evans overnight. So when you look at what Houston has, what I've done and actually my last few, you know, mock drafts that I've put out is there's one receiver who's getting, you know, pretty much the only first round buzz out of all the receiver class this year, which is Jackson Smith and Jigba. And if you look at where Houston sits, you know, People are lean, more leaning towards Carolina taking Bryce Young now. I still think C.J. Stroud is the pick at number one, but you know, in the event that he does fall to two, what better scenario do you have than getting C.J. Stroud as your new franchise signal caller and pairing him up with his favorite target from university in Jackson Smith and Jigba? So you got now your number one QB, your number one receiver, and your number one running back from last year who you picked Damian Pierce now you've got your triplets, right? Mm-hmm. You got a pretty decent offensive line. You got a young tight end group. Who knows what can happen if you just get a little bit of, you know, good luck and good fortune with the right coaching. So I think that's what you have to do. Again, there's a lot of talent on the defensive side in this draft. So if there's one guy who's falling, a la Jalen Carter, let's say, can you pass up on Jalen Carter if he's available at number 12? Absolutely not. So we all know that there's always one guy who falls every year. He screws up the draft. We were watching it last year doing the live stream. Kyle Hamilton sitting there, keeps falling and falling and falling. And it's like, when is he going to go? Because now like, you don't know who's going where because there's that one linchpin that's just driving the whole thing. So if I'm the GM of Houston, I'm trying to get as many weapons on offense as I can early and then later on, I can take those, you know, those mid-round guys to come in and fill in my defense. Because you got to think, when D'Amico Ryans was in San Francisco, all of his guys who were Pro Bowl players, they're all mid-round guys. Mm-hmm. So if you have an eye for it, you can identify talent, bring them in, coach them up, get the high-priced talent in on offense, put up some points, then the defense can just go out and do their job and not have to literally hold you in every game that you're in yeah 
Well, you already mentioned it there. Every single year, there's always one team that causes chaos at the draft because they go off the board <laughs> or they, they make an absolutely incomprehensible selection given their roster. And, you know, looking at this year's draft class based on how many QB needy teams there are, you can kind of pencil in with fairly high certainty how the first couple of picks are going to go. Like when you're looking at that top 15, who do you think is the most likely team to cause chaos and just flip the draft on its head with a an out there pick that might screw up the plans of the team selection behind them? Yeah, I there's actually three teams right in a row that can actually screw up what everybody's looking at doing. And I'm looking at Las Vegas, Atlanta, <laughs> and Chicago. Because they can legitimately go in a multitude of different directions. And again, you're hearing different things. And who knows if it's a smokescreen or not. But at number nine, people have Chicago going off the board and taking Darnell Wright as the first offensive lineman off the board and passing on Paris Johnson. So if that happens, that can create a huge tornado of craziness because then teams are going to say, oh, Paris Johnson's available at number 10. I got to trade my ass up there to get him because franchise left tackles don't grow on trees, right? So I think with Las Vegas, everyone's mocking them to take a corner, but who knows, right? (laughs) They've been such a wild card the last few years. Mind you, it's not Mike Mayock making the pick this year, so it could be more stable than normal. But Josh McDaniels is still there. He's also the one who traded up to take Tim Tebow in the first round. So who knows what's going to happen at number seven, number eight at Atlanta. They have a multitude of different needs, but they got a pretty good thing going there. Arthur Smith seems to have them on the right track to, again, competing. So they could go in a multitude of different directions, but still select the best player available. And then Chicago, again, they blew everything up. They are now rebuilding it from the ground up. They're doing a pretty good job this offseason of doing that. They can legitimately just say, look, we can trade out. We can take this guy. We can take the guy who's falling. Who knows where they're going to go? So I think that the corridor of 789 is really going to set the tone for the course of the draft. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up Las Vegas because they're they're my absolute wildcard team right now as well, too. Because, you know, as, as you mentioned, their drafting history is god awful. <laughs> like uh, outside of Jacobs, who they selected, like how many of their first or even second round picks are even still on the team in their last five drafts? Like, not not a whole hell of a lot. They've yeah, either been cut, released. Or, I was gonna say they've either been cut, released, and the fifth year option declined. Like it, it's been a murderer's row of whiffs uh, on that team, <laughs> but. Uh, again, you you hear these things and you wonder how much of it is smokescreen, how much of it is kernels of truth in it, and how much is someone reporter just throwing something at the wall, seeing if it sticks, and if it does, then they can do, uh, oh, I told you, I was first to report that after yeah. the fact, right? Yeah. So th- the one little caveat here that, that I have heard is, again, you know, you, you've got McDaniels there. They've just moved on from Derek Carr. They're slowly turning into New England West here with all of their coaching hires and yep. some of the special teamers and all that that they're bringing in. The one little rumor that I've heard is, again, that they're kind of building for the future and they could be in the market for a quarterback by the name of Mr. Will Levis here, which I would find hilarious because of the simple fact that I think at his ceiling, he's Derek Carr in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they would almost be hoping that the stars line up perfectly to get Derek Carr 2.0. And that's literally my NFL comparable to him because uh, same thing with you. When I'm watching his college game tape, he's got a strong arm. That's great. But, you know, so did, so did Uncle Rico. He could throw a football right over those mountains. And, you know, he never made it out of Napoleon Dynamite. So it, it's really just a matter of are they doing it because they think they're actually going to go out there and throw some teams off the scent and then they'll go and grab, you know, a cornerback like Witherspoon or something like that? Or are they actually going to go out there, roll the dice on Levis, have him sit for a year, and you know what? Hey, let, let, let's see what we've got out of the boy from Kentucky here. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that you're comparable for, for him is Derek Carr. I I can't unsee 
Jay Cutler when I watched Will Levis. <laughs> no, and, then, and it's not a knock against you know Will Levis because he is what he is, right? Yeah, he's he's somewhat athletic. He's got a really strong arm, but I don't see him making the quick decisions that the top quarterbacks make. He just processes things a little bit more slowly than you'd like. And you got to think too; he's twenty four years old. Mm-hmm. He's not one of these young projects like Richardson, who you can say, "Well, give him time, and he will develop." Levis is coming in, and realistically, if you're taking him, he's going to be your guy from day one. So it doesn't make any sense for Vegas to take him because you just brought in Jimmy Garoppolo, who, well, to the purposes, was run out unjustifiably out of San Francisco, and now look at the mess that they're in at their quarterback position. So. You got a guy who knows the system. He's there for three years. He's young enough. He can still play another five, six, seven years if he's healthy. You don't need to take a guy and rush the quarterback spot. You can wait two years to take a quarterback. Garoppolo's going to be there. He'll be fine. Bring in a solid backup because obviously with his injury history, you got to protect yourself. But yeah, with Will Levis, I mean, his ceiling is very close to being hit already in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other three top guys you're looking at, Young, Stroud, and Richardson, they really give you those vibes of how far can they go. And that's what really excites you when you're drafting a quarterback. So, yeah, I don't know. It it would be a very Vegas move to draft a 24-year-old quarterback to come in and sit behind a guy you're already paying $25, $30 million to. (laughs) That's why. (laughs) It just makes so much sense that I I don't know if it is truly a smokescreen because it just screams... Vegas to go out there and, and make that selection, right? Yeah, I know. And like one team that again I mentioned them earlier, I think is a wild card for a quarterback is uh Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um obviously Ryan Tannehill is not the answer. You know, he's he's a mediocre quarterback who's making a ton of money for giving you not you know not a whole lot. Malik Willis, I don't think that they really gave him an opportunity to excel because they didn't give him a chance to play quarterback. They wanted him to hand the ball off and be a smokescreen for Derrick Henry. Yeah. So, you know, but it's a new regime. New regimes typically want to bring in their own guy. And Rand Carthon coming from San Francisco, he knows the value of, hey, if I have a guy that I want to go get, I don't care who's on my roster already. I'm going to go get him, right? Look at the Trey Lance move. I mean, it seems to have blown up in their faces, but that's the cost of doing business. You got to go and get your guy when he's there. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I I think that Levis, like I said, he ends up in that 6 to 15 range somewhere with a team who is really looking at, okay, let's hit the reset button on our quarterback position, bring in a guy who we can take our lumps with in year one, but after year two, year three, could potentially be that guy who can bring us to that next step. So we'll see. Let's go, Vegas. Don't, uh, don't disappoint us. Yeah. Well, you get into a very interesting run of teams once you get out of the top 10, right? And you've also got a, a few of them there who could very easily pop into the top 10 if the opportunity presents itself. You know, you've got yeah. Chicago already who, you know, if they're going to really go out there and take right, they'll probably trade back again, right? Because like I, I don't see a scenario where he gets snatched up before the Paris Johnsons of the world and whatnot, right? So, yeah, it, it, I mean, stranger things have happened, but you're right. I mean, you know, it, it would make more sense for them to trade back and accrue more assets based on what their their goal is in this whole scenario. But, I mean, really, that run of Philadelphia, who I can almost foresee the trade back coming here because someone's going to want to hop into the top 10 and unless their guy kind of falls to them at that spot, you know, Howie is going to be looking to recoup more assets and cheaper contracts and whatnot because they just backed up the Brinks truck for Jalen Hurts. So that that's going to start adding up over time. So I can see them trading back, right? Tennessee already said they want to move up. Can I see Chicago trading back again? Yeah, probably. You've got some frisky teams in there where, depending what they really want to do, you could see them move up conceivably as well, too, if you have someone like a Levis start falling. Uh, You know, Washington, right? How committed are they to any of the quarterbacks in their room right now? 
you know, hey, they might give them a, a bit of a try this year, but I don't think they're they're ready to, you know, hand the keys to the franchise over to any of them. And then you've got Green Bay, same thing, you know, Jordan Love. They're saying all the right things. What we're going to see him this year. This is his sink or swim year. But am I sold on him being a, you know, long-term eight, nine-year starter in the league for Green Bay? Not really. So they could be in a position where they might want to move up as well, too. So you've got some teams who could be doing some draft day deals. And really, it's going to be very much setting the tone for some of those teams that are picking later in the draft. Because I think the way this draft is kind of setting up, if it goes chalk as far as you know, the Carters and the Andersons and the top QBs coming off the board in fairly relative sequential order up there. And it gets a little squirrely in the middle that actually works in the advantage of the Kansas cities, the Cincinnati's right. The Buffalo's Mm -hmm. of the world, because you're going to start seeing some of these blue chip prospects start to fall who, you know, everyone kind of had them mocked in that 18 to 24 range. Well, suddenly they're available. Right. So, yeah, You know, it's one of those scenarios where I'm almost hoping that, you know, someone like a safety like Branch out of Alabama ends up falling a little bit and suddenly he's there at 30 for Philadelphia because that's a huge glaring need that they have. And he's someone who probably would have gone a little bit earlier. But if it gets a little crazy in the middle, we could see him actually slide a little bit and become available for a plug and play day one starter. 100%. And and I mean, I think that, what you're saying makes all the sense in the world because things do tend to get a little crazy when you get to like we were talking about earlier, that one particular spot in the draft where there's either that one pick or the two picks back to back that just kind of set the whole thing ablaze. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's a lot of teams in the you know late teens, early 20s that will be looking to trade up because of specific players that are falling. And the names to look out for in regards to players who could fall based on different things are Paris Johnson, who, again, I don't know how he slips out of the top 10, but if he does, there's going to be a litany of teams lining up for Philadelphia to you know, trade away whatever they need to to get to that point. Um, another guy who I think is going to cause a lot of attention to be spent on him because he could be the best guy at his position, but we don't know that just yet. And that's Joey Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. So physical press corners coming out of college, they don't really grow on trees. Yeah. Typically you want to protect your corners in college. You play a lot of zone, you play a lot of, um, you know, off coverage. Penn State trusted this guy each and every week to play man up, press coverage, and to jam every single receiver. He's great against the run. He ran a little bit slower than people expected him to run, but again, he's still running in the high four fours. That's good. That's a good time for him. Mm-hmm. He's another guy who, if he starts falling into like you know the 15, 16 range, you're gonna see a lot of action coming in because again. You're looking at certain teams that you know could use a cornerback with Washington, Detroit, Pittsburgh. You know, they're looking at that type of position. But any of those teams behind them might say, and if we want to get this guy, he's not making it past those next three picks. We got to trade up to number 15, 14 to get that guy. So again, I think those two guys are really the the two who I can see, you know, being the they're falling, they're falling, they're falling. Another guy I think that everybody kind of looks at as being a top three prospect in the draft, but he's going to fall based on the position that he plays is Bajon Robinson. Yeah. And, well, you know, I, I, I've got a, I, I've got a Robinson rant that we'll get to in a minute. There you go. And you can go on that because I think that one, he's, he's an excellent talent. You know, don't get me wrong. He's phenomenal. Um, but people have just become so turned off to the running back position. And I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It's such an important position, especially when you look at the teams that played in the Super Bowl this year. Yeah. Philadelphia had one of the best running games in the NFL this year. Mm-hmm. Right. And Kansas City, what did they rely on when Patrick Mahomes, you know, could barely you know, pick himself up after every time he scrambled? 
get the hand, get the ball in the hands of Pacheco and McKinnon and take some pressure off of them. So, you know, there have been a lot of busts with first round running backs, but that can be said about any position. People just listen to the Mel Kuypers of the world who rant on and on and on about how they won't take, it's stupid for them to take running backs in the first round because they wear it out faster. You know what? I don't care. The average lifespan of an NFL player is three years anyway. Mm-hmm. So if I can get five good years out of a player at any position, sign them up, bring yeah. them in, and let's compete for a championship and the window that they're there, right? That's why contracts are five years when you draft a player in the first round. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the classic copycat league syndrome, right? The mentality got put out there that, guess what? Running backs are not worth taking in the first round. You would be a fool to take them in the first round. Kind of the same thing as Moneyball. Everyone copied the Oakland A's. And then in baseball, everyone went, you know what? Screw on base percentage. I want you to either hit a home run or strike out. And then everyone moved to that. Now with the new pitch clock and the wider bases and all of that, I can guarantee you there's going to be a new wave put on speedy players who can swipe bases and all this. So everything is just copycat, cyclical. Cyclical, Who's going to be the first one to do it, right? And what I've been saying, right, I, I haven't really put it out into the universe yet, but I, I've told a few of my friends this, like, so so I've been saying it in my quiet voice, so this is my first time I'm going to say it out loud here. It's like, even if the Eagles don't trade out of number 10, I wouldn't be mad if they took Robinson there. No. Because what, what are we looking at here? We're, we're literally going to have Jalen Hurts, right? You got Dallas Goddard, you're set at yep. tight end. You, you've got the twins at wide receiver, right? You've got Devonta and then you've got AJ Brown out there. What are you missing, right? We just lost our, our starting running back. And if you think Rashad Penny can stay healthy for an entire season, I got some magic beans to sell you out here, right? Boston Scott. Well, guess what? We got our two games against the giants taken care of here, but the, the other rest of the season, not sure what we're doing. If you inserted Robinson into midnight green, they would be one of the most electric offenses in the entire league. And yeah. guess what? You've got holes elsewhere. I get that. You got another first round pick. There's yep. no one you're going to be able to get even at number 10, who is the guy at their position at a position that you do have a need, right? It's not a glaring need. Yeah. You can kind of get by with a running back by committee and Jalen hurts. His scrambling ability kind of alleviates a little bit of that need for those short yardages, right? With the little, you know, butt push first downs and all of that. But at the end of the day, like there would not be an offense that at least on paper is better than the Philadelphia Eagles if they drafted Robinson at number 10. Who is the Philadelphia Eagles' biggest rival in the NFC right now? <laughs> the injury bug. <laughs> no, no, but 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 when you look at rosters on paper, the team that is going to be their nemesis to go to the Super Bowl for the next couple of years is the San Francisco 49ers. What did San Francisco go and do because they realized you can't have the committee approach if you want to have a stable offense? They went out and got one of the more dynamic running backs to ever come in the league in Christian McCaffrey. And look what it did for their offense. So I'm 100% in agreement with you. If you have a guy who you know is going to change the course of your offense, take him. Yeah. Who cares where everyone else is projecting him to go? The thing that I always, you know, that I think I was telling you about this. I was definitely telling my talking to my brother, you know, who's also a Philadelphia fan. You can put Bajan Robinson behind the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line, and he will walk for a thousand yards. Yeah. You look at where he was at Texas. Texas is on the rise, but they weren't at the point yet of competing. Their offensive line was young. They were getting beat up a little bit. He was really, you know, getting hit in the backfield 50% of the time. If you get him a step where he doesn't have anyone touching him and he can read a defense, this guy is a phenomenal prospect. You look at what the Giants were able to do when Saquon Barkley came back healthy. Mm -hmm. Changed the dynamic of their offense, brought them to the playoffs, right? Yeah. Bijan Robinson is that type of guy. We can get into some other guys that I like at the running back position, but really, you know, he's a guy who you could bring in from day one and he's an impact player. And that's at the end of the day, 
why else are you drafting players if you don't want them to make an impact? Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. And you know what? Like, if you are going to sit here and try and argue with me of it, it, there's too many other holes, you can go and get, you know, a, a generational talent somewhere else uh, at number 10 overall. Okay, great. You know, I, I'll disagree with that. But even if we do take that approach, then, then what I want us to at least come to the agreement on here is, is the fact that at number 30, if Gibbs is then available out of Alabama, let, let's at least take a long, hard look at him. Because I, I think the, the notion that, doesn't matter where just no first round running backs just needs to be crumpled up and thrown into the garbage because yeah. there are not a ton of high end running backs coming out of this draft class, but there are some very, very good ones. And just because someone wrote on a blog a couple of years ago that, Hey, guess what? Running backs aren't worth the pick in the first round. That, that might've been true a couple of years ago. It's not yeah. true today. And it's not going to be true for whoever steps into the backfield for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. I mean, look look at last year. Some people were saying that there wasn't a quarterback who was worthy of the first round pick. Yeah. Like it, it, it all depends on the year that you're in. You can't put a stigma on an entire draft class. Mm-hmm. You have to look at it for what it is. So 100% agree with you. I mean, Pittsburgh bucked the trend a couple of years ago taking Najee Harris. Hey, it's worked out for them. He's yeah. a phenomenal talent. He's exactly what they needed in the backfield. You know, I'm sure the Jacksonville Jaguars are happy with the return they've gotten so far with Travis Etienne. Mm-hmm. You know, dynamic playmaker. When he was healthy, look what he did to their offense this year. They made the playoffs. So mm-hmm. when you have a guy who can come in and make plays, take the guy who can come in and make plays. Yeah, absolutely. So if we're going through sort of the players we haven't talked about yet here, let's maybe start on the defensive side of the ball. Who is maybe one player that you are absolutely in love with but isn't getting the recognition from the scouts or the national media or anything like that, who you think could be a day one name that we see called? Uh, Keely Ringo, cornerback from Georgia. Mm-hmm. For the life of me, I don't understand how he's not a lock and loaded first round pick in people's mock drafts. The guy's six foot one, 215 pounds. He's the number one corner who's lined up against the top receiver in the SEC for back-to-back national champion defense. And well, look at the well, and to hammer that point home as well too, pre this college football season, he was the number one rated corner prospect. Yeah. But for some yeah. reason, going out there and winning a national championship hurt his stock. And now all of a sudden, all these guys have leapfrogged him here. So he, he's, again, a name that doesn't make a ton of sense as to why he's dropped as dramatically. Like, it would be one thing if it was like, oh, okay, we just like Porter better than him. But there's like, I think, four or five, depending on whose mock you're looking at, defensive backs that have now suddenly leapfrogged him through no fault of his own. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's the paralysis by analysis thing, right? I mean, yeah. I think if he comes out as a sophomore last year, he's a top five pick. Mm-hmm. But for, like you're saying, for whatever reason, you get put in this this box that, oh, well, he's protected by the system. Well, how can we not say that about any other Georgia prospect who's been a first-round pick, who's come out and absolutely dominated at their position the last two years? Like, it's, that one makes no sense to me. Whoever gets him is going to be one extremely happy with what they get, and two, they're going to get a really big bargain depending on where he goes. And again, as a Pittsburgh fan, knowing that they sit there with essentially two first round picks because they have number thirty two with Miami forfeiting the first round selection, mm-hmm. I'm really hoping that he falls out of the first round and Pittsburgh can scoop him up as the first pick of day two. Yeah. No, he's uh, he's definitely a curious case over there. And I mean, I I, I don't uh, fully understand it. I think it's exactly what you said. Scouts just almost have too much film on him, right? You, you get some of these corners or out of, you know, some of the smaller colleges and it's like, okay, yeah, we got, you know, five games worth of film on him here that we can kind of highlight versus, all right, we've watched him and every snap he's played because he's on national television playing in the biggest conference for one of the premier teams in the country. Eh, you know what? You're going to find some warts if you look at someone long enough. So he's sure. definitely going to be a steal for whoever gets him, whether that's a day one or day two thing. 
but even more so if he goes and falls into the second round for sure. I mean, everyone talks about how on offense, before I open it up to any position, how loaded of a tight end class this is. So out of this entire tight end class where there could be, you know, a couple of names called fairly early, either on day two or even a couple of them sneaking into round one here as well, too. Like, who are you liking the most out of the tight end eligible prospects? You know what? There's there's four guys who I just I love the way that they play the game and they're all different, which is the best part about it. So, I mean, the top four guys, I think the one with the most upside where you can say, I don't know what he could be, but he could become the best tight end in the league in three years is Washington out of, uh, out of Georgia. I think that with the size, the athleticism, and you see how he moves for such a big guy, you, you see Gronkowski, right? Like you see Gronkowski with what he brings to the table. When you draft a guy like him, you also get an additional offensive lineman. Because I don't know if you watched him this year. The guy is essentially a left tackle playing tight end. Yeah. He's a phenomenal blocker. So I think with him, for me, he's the guy that I would probably target because he possesses the biggest upside. But, I mean, you look at, you know, Michael Meyer from Notre Dame. Notre Dame pumps out tight ends like crazy. If if you're a tight end and you want to go – to the NFL, go to Notre Dame because whoever the, whatever their coach is doing there, he's doing it right. They're pumping out these six foot six, two hundred and sixty pound, two hundred and seventy pound monsters every couple of years. And I think Meyer's really the best prospect that's come out of there, probably in you know in the modern era. You know, he was a one man band last year with their offense. People knew he was getting the ball, and he still was racking in you know six to eight catches a game. So. He's a great blocker, great inline, not a huge speed guy, but again, I see Jason Witten a lot when I watch Meyer play. Um, Dalton Kincaid, you know, I I actually watched a few of his games this year because uh, I ended up watching a ton of the Pac uh, the Pac twelve, and when I when you watch Utah again, you you saw this guy lining up out wide in the backfield in the slot on the line of scrimmage. And he's catching the ball everywhere. And it's like, this guy's six foot five, 250 pounds, and he's running past DBs. Yeah. He's boxing out linebackers. Like, he is the perfect definition of a move tight end. And I heard someone compare him to a former Washington tight end, Chris Cooley, which I thought was perfect because Chris Cooley could literally line up as a fullback, tight end, receiver anywhere. That's exactly what Dalton Kincaid is. Um, so if you're drafting him, he's not the best blocker, but he's a he's a target machine. Mm-hmm. And the guy that isn't getting a lot of love, but I don't know why, because I'm a huge fan of him. Because again, one man band on an anemic offense, but he does everything well. Sam Laporta out of Iowa. You know, obviously, I watched a lot of Big Ten football being a Michigan fan, and I literally enjoyed watching the Iowa offense only a little bit. Because of Sam Laporta. <laughs> because, again, like they're a boring offense, right? You know what they're going to do. You know what they're trying to do. Sam Laporta did you know, did things in that type of offense that, again, you're not really seeing a lot of from anyone else. And, again, Iowa, pretty good tight end factory coming out of that school if you want to look at the last you know, 10, 15 years. So, I mean, when you look at those four guys, I think anybody that you get out of that group, you're going to be extremely happy. Yeah. Uh, And I would tend to agree, you know, on my uh, fictitious big board over here that I'm gesturing to off screen. (laughs) I I would have Meyer at the top of them just because I think he's a little bit more polished. But I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, Washington just seems like he doesn't even know how much potential he has. Like if yeah. he gets in the right system and he gets the right coaching around him, like he could be one of the truly, truly disruptive forces in the NFL. And, you know, whether it comes down to blocking, whether it comes down to red zone threat, whether it comes down to just being that massive body across the middle of the field as a safety blanket for a quarterback, like it, he he kind of just r- reminds me of like a, a baby elephant, right? Like he, he's 
huge, but like he doesn't understand how huge he is in compared to other people around him. Yeah. Right. Like he, he he's just this unpolished product that probably has the widest range of outcomes as a result. Right. He, yeah. uh, if, if he goes to the wrong team that doesn't know how to coach him up and how to utilize his skill set. He could be someone whose name you don't even hear in the league five years down the road, right? Or he goes to a perfect situation, and guess what? All of a sudden, they could be starting to talk about, oh, my goodness, uh, you know, here's where Travis Kelsey was at at this point in his career. Here's where Antonio Gates was. Here's, uh, you know, starting to compare him to some of the greats. Like, I, I genuinely see such a wide spectrum of potential outcomes, and it really does, as most of these selections end up coming down to of what situation does he go to and sure. is it the right coaching staff to tap into that potential? Cause if it is man, like, sorry to the other three that you just listed right there. Like he's going to be the guy. Yeah. And, and I think the worst case scenario that you're going to get out of him is you're going to end up with like a Mercedes Lewis, Brandon Pettigrew type of tight end, which is mm -hmm. not the worst thing in the world. I mean, you know, big body who could block and is there to catch 30 to 40 balls. I mean, mm -hmm. I, ideally that's what you want as a you know worst case scenario but i mean the upside is there like i was saying he could be a gronkowski type of tight end but bigger mm -hmm. right so that's the game that you want to play how low is the floor but how high is the ceiling yeah no absolutely and he's uh he's definitely one of the more intriguing prospects in the draft for sure as well too and you know, if we continue along the offensive side of the ball, we've already talked about the quarterbacks. We kind of briefly talked about some running backs there as well, too. But I mean, one name who, if you're just going on brand name recognition alone, you would think would probably be kind of mocked to go a little bit higher than he currently is, is Jordan Addison out of USC, who, again, you talk to some people and they're saying like, elite level talent day one plug and play starter he could be going in there and winning rookie of the year talk to others and they say you know he, he's solid but guess what he, he needs a little bit of polish and you know they, they might have a wide receiver or two ahead of him on the draft board like wh where do you sort of sit on him as compared to say you know a, a quentin johnson out of uh you know tcu or something like that yeah jordan addison's the second receiver on my board behind smith and jigba mm -hmm. i think that he's probably the second best route runner in the draft um the one thing that he needs to work on is just the uh the drops and mm -hmm. that's that's typical for uh for a young receiver right i mean when you look at receivers in general everybody wants to get that six foot four 230 pound guy you can run a four four that's that's the ideal scenario for everybody but when I look at where the best receivers excel, it's route running. Yeah, They get open, right? You can't catch the ball if you're not open. And when you look at you know, the impact that Justin Jefferson's had, you know, Jamar Chase has had, guys who can find space and continually get open are going to get the ball. And that's what you see with a guy like Jordan Addison. The reason why he won the Belitnikov two years ago, right? Mm -hmm. The guy knows how to get open. When I watch him, he gives me a lot of Stefan Diggs vibes. Yeah. And anyone who's watched the NFL over the last, you know, eight years, it's a pretty good comparison if you're coming into the league being compared to a guy like that. So, you know, to me, I think, you know, him being in that area of potentially going in the late teens to late twenties, the Giants make all the sense in the world to me because Brian Dayball came from the Buffalo Bills where he got to coach up. Stephon Diggs mm -hmm. and you saw the impact that he had you know making Josh Allen into a better quarterback so I think that Jordan Addison going to a team like the Giants would be so beneficial for everyone involved but I'm actually a lot higher on him than most people are you mentioned another guy Quentin Johnston again people referring to him I think his nickname is the pterodactyl I think that's what people are calling him <laughs> because his wingspan is so long um yeah, I mean, look, we just mentioned it with Washington. What do you get when you have the guy like Johnson? Do you get the guy who could become a Julio Jones type of receiver, who's a big body deep threat who can, you know, take the roof off of the defense? Or are you going to get the Mike Williams 
right from back in the Detroit days where, yeah, checks all the boxes, big, physical, big hands, but he's just missing that one thing. I don't know. Like there's, there's always teams that give you these prospects that don't really pan out TCU. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call them a hotbed of, you know, pro talent coming out, but again, they could, they could absolutely prove everyone wrong and just say, look, you know, we've got a couple of receivers. We got Steven Vila, the guard center who's coming out. Max Duggan could be a potential sleeper quarterback. You know, they could be, you know, that team that says, you know, we're bucking the trend and we're putting in, you know, these, these high level players. So, but yeah, I, I mean, Jordan Addison to me, the only thing that he would need to work on is, you know, watching the ball into his hands a little bit more, but that's a standard thing for a lot of young receivers is getting that, you know, natural instinct in them. And again, the guy's still only 21 years old. He's got lots of room to, to grow and to get better. Yeah. Well, we, we, we've kind of done the round of the draft here at this point here. So if, if we are going to sit down and say, you know what, which team is it that cannot afford to screw up this draft? Like who, who is the team? Obviously you never want to screw up the draft, but there are some teams who have some glaring, glaring holes on them and have multiple high round picks, not just first, but you know, multiple seconds and thirds and whatnot. You know, some of the teams have 11, 12 picks. Some of them like the Los Angeles Rams that we were talking about earlier there. Well, yeah. Godspeed to you. <laughs> so like who, who is the team that you think that this is the year where they have set up all of their off season trades, their, you know, rebuilds, their acquiring of, assets and everything they've put all their eggs in this basket who is the team that really needs to capitalize on this draft in 2023 and can't afford to just keep kicking the can down the road detroit oh okay yeah so detroit is so close to contending that they cannot afford to look to the future any longer Mm -hmm. they're in the here and now I know it's a scary thought for Lions fans because that's not a thing you hear a lot of. You are in the here and now. You have the opportunity to run your division. Chicago is at a weak point. Green Bay, you don't have Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre for the first time in 30 years. And you look at Minnesota. Minnesota is a team without an identity right now. Minnesota? (laughs) So... When you look at Detroit, you have to strike where the iron's hot. They've come out like gangbusters, you know, the last couple of off seasons, but really, you know, hit the brakes as soon as the season started because they weren't in that mode of we're ready to compete for a championship now. But then you see that mentality kind of grow and grow and grow week after week. They were the best team in the NFL the second half of the season last year, mm-hmm. right? So if you can come in, as Detroit Lions and absolutely nail the first round of this draft and hopefully taking two defensive players to stock up, you're in a position right now to compete. So if you miss on these picks or you don't do or utilize these assets to your advantage, then you've absolutely wasted all this momentum that you built up. So you're then of the mentality, let's say first five picks go and Anthony Richardson is still on the board at number six, you would still go defense defense, or would you then go, all right, this is the perfect situation of both future and now kind of lining up here. Let's get our quarterback sitting behind Jared Goff next year. He's going to carry us into our giant window to compete here and, and move on that way. Because we now kind of figure we're never going to pick this high again in the draft, or are you still going defense defense? Because you believe, guess what? We're, we're, we're riding and dying with Goff. He's going to be the guy to be able to get us over that hump. I see that you read my, uh, my mock drafts because, uh, <laughs> it's all, almost like you sent them to me. Almost like I sent them it. to you. Um, yeah, I think that Richardson is a guy that I would absolutely take a number six if he's there. You know, and again, I'll outline the purpose of of why I would do that is because, you know, we talk about all the time. You just mentioned Jalen Hurts breaking the bank with his new contract. Quarterbacks are getting more expensive and more expensive and more expensive. And it's not necessarily the best guy who gets paid. It's the next guy who gets paid. 
Mm-hmm. Well, guess who's on the last year of his contract? Jared, Jared Goff. Goff. Jared Goff has played good football since he's been in Detroit. And I will go back. We have receipts of it. I remember mentioning a couple years ago that, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of Goff with the Lions, but he's a decent quarterback who plays winning football. And, and you know, lo and behold, he's been pretty good the last couple of years. But are you willing to commit 40 to $45 million to Jared Goff? I would absolutely not be able to do that mm-hmm. because one, it hamstrings you for everything else that you want to do. You have a lot of young talent. You got to resign. If you're paying your quarterback more than you're paying your offensive line, you're not going to win. Okay. So by taking Richardson, you could say all you want. He's not ready to play. That's fine. Come on in. Jared Goff wants something to prove because he is now performing for his next big contract, his retirement contract. Mm-hmm. right he's going to go out playing at a high level richardson can learn the game understand it he's on his rookie deal you let jared goff walk in the offseason now again you had a motivated quarterback who is there he's now gone anthony richardson okay now we've got a guy who understands the nfl speed of the game he's developed those tools that we really want him to develop to become that guy we have him for another four years of control. On that rookie deal, we can now go and re-sign all of these star prospects we've taken the last few drafts, right? So you can lock up your offensive line. You can lock up you know, your receivers. You can lock up your defense. Those are the types of things that we do championships. You know, Case in point, the Seattle Seahawks, when they had Russell Wilson, Richard Sherman, you know that group, the reason why they were able to win is because they had a lot of good young talent on rookie deals, but they also brought in veterans who they were able to pay a lot of money to, to come in and perform at a high level for the window that they had. Right. That's how good teams win. It's the cost of doing business. Is Jared Goff going to be difficult to let go of? Yeah, because he's been good for you. But if you see you have an opportunity to win with a guy who could become a better version of what you have currently, you have to do it. Absolutely. You have to. It just ex- it extends your window to compete, right? Because you, yeah. you, you just laid it out right there where worst case scenario here is golf goes out, plays well, you draft two defensive linemen, whatever it is you end up selecting here. And then you end up in the Ryan Tannehill zone where you've got a mid tier at best quarterback game manager but isn't going to go out there and single-handedly win you any games himself right plays a winning-esque brand of football um but he he's not going to be able to shoulder that offensive load and freewheel like a you know lamar jackson could or someone who can truly revolutionize your offense that you would build around he's there to serve a purpose and that would very much stunt the growth of this Lions team who has slowly been accumulating assets, making smart moves, making smart signings, right? And building momentum because it it, it certainly has been an up and down roller coaster ride if you've been a Lions fan the last 30 years. And for the first time in a long time, it seems like you're actually got a little bit of linear progression here, right? You're stacking and building things the right way. So by going and missing this opportunity to bring in a a star talent like a a Richardson to sit there and then learn your system and become that dynamic, possibly game breaking force, not putting the pressure on them to be a day one starter. It's just adds an element to your offense that you really can't do any other way. Right. Like if you laid out how the division's going to pan out next year, it would probably be a crime if Detroit, based even around the rest of the NFC, isn't at least a wild card team next season. Right. So you're not going to be in this situation to be picking this high again. So you are kind of undercutting your window to compete if you go out there and now reallocate 35 to $45 million a season. Like, uh, let's call it what it is. Like Jared Goff is going to go out there and he's going to point to the Daniel Jones contract. And he's yep. going to say, I want, I want that. Right. I I think even Jared Goff kind of realizes he's not going to get Patrick Mahomes money. He's not going to get Jalen Hurts money. He's not going to be in that upper echelon. But I I want Daniel Jones money. I want Daniel Jones, Dak Prescott, 
Derek yep. Carr, I want that type of contract plus plus because I've been to a Super Bowl. I've been yep. to the playoffs. These guys haven't. Yep, exactly. So it, it's very much going to be, are you all in on Jared Goff and he's your guy? Okay, great. But you better get ready to pay him next year. If not, you have to take a very long, hard look at what quarterbacks are going to be available there at six, because I really don't think they're going to be picking in the top 10 again for a couple more years. And if they do, something's gone seriously wrong. Yeah. And and again, you know, if Richardson does go before that, I actually had Detroit trading back up into the first round to take Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. Again, older prospect, but you have the fifth, you know, the fifth year option that you can exercise. Plus, if you're taking them later in the round, it's less money. Yeah. So you can now afford to go out and do that. So yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I think that their window is so open right now that they have to go through it. They can't just sit and look through it and say, Oh, look at look, it's so nice on the other side. Jump through it, go and get you know, the opportunity to win when you can. Yeah. Well, Kyle, we appreciate you battling through the, uh, the tiredness chasing around your kids all day. You know, you, you've got some illnesses on the go. You mustered through voice didn't crack only one cough throughout this entire time. Look at you go. <laughs> what a warrior you are here. We appreciate you sitting down with us, but tell the people where they can find some of your mock drafts and all that other good content. You're still continuing to put out these days. The Dines Press Box is the only place to go for this type of thing. So shameless plug. I love how you kind of teed that up for not only me, but yourself. So <laughs> go check it out on the Dines Press Box. Uh, tons of great uh, content flowing through there each and every day. Kyle and the group, uh, you know, again, bunch of talented people putting out fantastic stuff. And uh, I'm just, you know, happy and humbled to to be a small cog in that. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Dine Sports Podcast on the Dine Sports Podcast Network. As always, a huge shout out goes to our guest, Kyle Kirkwood, for stopping by, talking all things NFL draft for us. If you want to see more contributions from Kyle, go and check out dinespressbox.com. He's got multiple mock drafts up there already. He's got a few more that'll probably drop before the actual big night itself as well. Plus, we'll have draft recap specials and more after the big evening goes down next Thursday. As always, if you like what you heard, make sure to like, share, subscribe, pass the episode along to a friend. Got more great guests lined up for you in the near future. Until then, everyone, stay safe. We'll see you in a bit.